Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Core, where we're defining the five values of who we are and what we're most passionate about. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, I'm running a little bit late here. I have to set my anchor down, you know. We've been told sometimes we're not supposed to go all around and drift all over the stage, and so this anchor uh, should just help me uh, to kind of just stay put here, stay anchored. We're glad again you're joining us. Uh, Last week we started a new series for five weeks that we called CORE. We're using this series to kick off the new year, and in this series we are defining the five values of who we are as a church and what we're most passionate about. When I think about the word values or vision or mission, the first thing that comes to my mind is sort of a Google Maps idea, or if you're smart, ways. But when you pull up Google Maps, for example, you're going to type in your destination. And our destination as a church is what I would call our vision. That's where we want to get to. And our vision, we mentioned last week, is to see every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And when I think of values, I think of those of sort of the directions of how we want to get there. If that's the vision God's given us, if the map is the mission, which is becoming disciples who make disciples, values are the directions on how we get there. Brian talked about this last week. Values are what drive us, both both as individuals but also as a church. We go after what we value. You can say you care about all sorts of things in life, but the things you value are really the things you're going to spend your time doing. And so for five weeks, we are talking about our values, our core values as a church family that's going to get us to our vision. If you're visiting with us or you're new, you're watching for the first time online at Cherry Hills, I would just say to you, this is a perfect series for you to tune into because you're going to get to discover the five things that are most important to us and what we're all about. You're going to be able to say, hey, is this place a place where we can dig roots, where we can do life together with them? Are my values the same as the values of this church? If you've been a part of this church for years, this is just going to be a great reminder about what we care about and what we're going after together here at Cherry Hills. Last week, Pastor Brian kicked off this series with the first value, which is that we want to be Jesus-centered. If you missed that message last week, I can't encourage you enough to go back and watch that or listen to that because honestly, that really is the foundation of everything else we want to do and be as a church. We want to exalt Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to be looking at the second core value with you, which is that we want to be Bible-based. You can see this on the screen right here. Number two, we want to be Bible-based. And the question I hope to answer together with you this morning, if you're following on your notes, is why is the Bible one of our core values of Cherry Hills? Why is the Bible one of the core values of Cherry Hills? And to answer that, I want us to turn to the passage we actually have listed on that, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're actually going to be starting in verse 12 together. Now, before we look at that passage, it's always important to ask the context question, right? You don't just jump into a passage of the Bible without understanding the context. And the context of 2 Timothy is that Paul is writing to his young protege named Timothy, who he left in Ephesus to be the pastor of the church there. And Timothy has been facing some different challenges. There's been a lot of persecution and opposition to his ministry, 
This is probably Paul's last letter that he ever wrote that we have in the New Testament. And we want to know what he says to to Timothy. And the context of the verses we're going to look at actually start in chapter 3, verse 1. We can see that it says, Here is a trustworthy saying, Timothy. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now that's actually supposed to be 2 Timothy 3.1, and I messed that up. But essentially it says, tough times are going to be coming for you, Timothy. Tough times are coming for all people in the church. Now look down at verse 12 with me in 2 Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so, friends, here's the context, if you're following on your notes, of the passage we're looking at. Times of testing will come. We must be prepared to stand firm. Jesus would confirm this to his disciples in John 15, verse 20, when he says these words. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Friends, there's dozens of verses I could point to in the New Testament that tells us there's no doubt about this reality in our lives. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will come against opposition. I love how John Stott says, and I put this quote up on the screen, if we stand up for Christian values in this world, we can expect opposition. We have a very real enemy who will now throw everything he has at us to get us to falter, including persecution. But notice, Satan is not concerned about nominal Christians, but he is concerned about those who are seeking to live a godly life in this world. Now, we may not exactly face persecution today here in the United States, physical persecution at least, But if we want to live a godly life in Jesus, the promise is we will face some opposition. But the good news is God has not left us unprepared for that. We can prepare ourselves for these times of testing, for those times of opposition. God hasn't left us on an island. If you're following on your notes, God has equipped us with everything we need. Everything we need to live a godly life for him. He has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to counsel us, to convict us. He's given us godly mentors. We can look to their example in life. And what we're talking about today is the amazing gift he has given us of the Bible. Again, if you're on your notes, the Bible is an anchor, see what I'm doing here? To help us navigate the world. As his followers, the Bible can keep us grounded in this life just like this anchor can keep me grounded. So let's look at 2 Timothy, our verses, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 7 through 17. I'm going to start reading, and then in verses 16 and 17, I'll have you join me by reading that out loud. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now would you join me and read verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now I'm going to break down this message into two big questions. Number one, what is the Bible? 
And number two, what is the Bible for? So first, what is the Bible? If you're holding a, a Bible in your hand right now, or maybe it's on a smartphone or a device, I just want to ask you a question. What do you actually believe about what you're holding in your hands? What do you really believe about it? In this passage, Paul says two significant things about what this book is. First of all, he calls it the Holy Scriptures. Now, the word holy just means something that is set apart for a sacred use, something unlike anything else. And so when we say that God is holy, what we're saying to that is that he's unlike anything or anyone else ever in this world. God is set apart and in a similar way, again, if you're on your notes, Paul says the Bible is holy or set apart as sacred. In other words, the Bible is unlike any other book that's ever been written, even books about the Bible, because this book has been set apart by God. Now, the question inevitably comes at this point, in our day and age at least, and I'm sure you've heard this before, which is, is that still true for us today? Is this book that was written thousands of years ago, still to be viewed as holy today. Perhaps you've heard this question phrased this way. Is the Bible still relevant for the 21st century? Many people, both inside and outside the church, say the answer to that is no. But here at Cherry Hills, we still believe the answer is yes, and this is why it's one of our core values. For us, the Bible still is and will forever be God's holy Scripture set apart for God's people as sacred. Now, some people might ask today, how can you possibly still believe this? How can you still believe that the Bible is relevant to the 21st century? This really is one of the biggest questions we face today, right? Well, in the next few minutes, I'm going to make an argument. It could get a little complicated, so I'm going to really ask you to dig in. Stay with me here, because I really believe we must know how to answer that kind of question. It's a huge question today, and it's ultimately going to decide what we believe as a church and even what we believe as individuals. And so what people really mean when they ask that question, when they say the Bible is relevant or not, what they're saying is it doesn't conform or confirm to the cultural values that we see around us, right? In other words, if we think as a culture that this thing, this movement, this belief is right, but the Bible says it's wrong, then the Bible must be irrelevant because we are obviously much more advanced today in our thinking and our understanding. This is nothing new throughout history. I've mentioned this before, but Thomas Jefferson would cut parts out of the Bible that he simply couldn't understand. He mostly cut out the miracles of Jesus because in his mind it didn't match up with science. We still do this today. I would admit to you there's times in my own life when I tend to say, I like this part of the Bible, I'll take that. I don't like these parts of the Bible, so I'm going to kind of ignore that. We pick and choose what we want the Bible to be and say, but the Bible doesn't present itself that way. In fact, as Isaiah writes in chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of, the, of God endures forever. It endures forever. Even more than that, though, and here's where I'm going to really try to dive deep. If we make ourselves, or if our culture makes themselves the determiner of what we will believe or won't believe, the Bible will have no power in our life at all. If we determine what we want to believe, the Bible will have no power in our life. Why? Because here's the big problem with the relevance argument. Culture 
Our culture, every culture is changing always. Sometimes it's changing for the better. Sometimes it's changing for the worse. Now, I want you to even think beyond that. Think about how many actual cultures there are in this world. The culture we have here in America is very different from the culture in Africa, which is different from the culture in Europe, which is different from the culture of Asia, and so on and so forth. And so here's the key question I would ask you. Which culture is right, and how do you know? I could give millions of examples of this. One example recently is a few years ago, we were down in Juarez, Mexico on a mission trip, and some of the girls in the church that we were working with asked us to come to a dance that they were doing in the public square downtown. And so, of course, we said yes, and we went down there, and the dance, I'll just say this, was a little bit risque for us as Americans. But for them, it's a part of who their culture is. Now, the question is, who's right about that? So listen, and this is important. What would you think of a book that affirmed what every particular culture thought on every particular issue throughout all of time? A book that was, quote, always culturally relevant. Friends, that would be a dead giveaway that it was not a book for all time and for all cultures. In fact, if the Bible really has been set apart by God as holy, it will contain eternal wisdom for every culture throughout history. What we would expect from that book is that book would confront every individual and every culture on some point at some time, correct? It wouldn't be relevant otherwise. Let me say this again, if you're following on your notes there. We can trust the Bible because of its irrelevance to all cultures. Now, I'm afraid one day you're gonna look back on these notes and you're gonna think I'm a total heretic. But I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. The Bible isn't the least bit interested in being relevant to whatever my beliefs are or whatever the cultural winds are blowing, which is exactly what makes the Bible relevant. It is set apart from our culture. It is set apart from any culture for that matter. And as we saw, that is the very definition of holy. The Bible is holy. I don't know about you. But I don't need a word from God that affirms what I already think or what my culture thinks is right or wrong because then, again, it makes me the determiner of truth. And truth then becomes, get this, relative. Is that not where we are as a society right now? What is truth? Truth is relative. What I want and what I need, and I'm going to tell you what you want and what you need, is a word from God. A word that is eternal and a word that is free to challenge us to live outside of ourselves, outside of our culture, regardless of whether our culture agrees with it or not. I want a book that is set apart by God and that will help me live a godly life in Jesus Christ, no matter what surrounding culture tells me. And God has equipped us with that book. It's called the Holy Scriptures. Friends, this is why I'm obviously wearing this anchor here, right? Cultures shift, cultures change, but one thing remains the same. And if we anchor ourselves to it, we can navigate our way through these cultural shifts. We can always stay relevant to what God says is true. Now, the cool thing about this anchor is it's not just stuck in one place, though, right? There are freedoms within the boundaries of the Bible. And I want to say, like, I think that's a pretty cool thing about the Bible. 
There's some things that we can discuss and we can argue and we can figure out, but there are also some things that are anchored solid on the ground, and the Bible is what will keep us there. This is why it is one of our core values as a church. Now, the second thing we learn about the Bible in this passage, if you're following, is the Bible is God-breathed, or as some of your translations say, it is inspired by God. Literally, this means these words were breathed out by God. Now, to be clear here, this does not mean that one day the Bible just dropped from heaven in its fully formed source. Nor does it mean that the authors of the Bible were controlled by God like robots, for God so loved the world. No. What it means is that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired real human beings with unique personalities to write down his truth for us. These were not their own thoughts, but they were also not machines like Pez dispensers just spitting out God's information. God breathed these words in and through these authors, and they wrote down his words in a way that was unique to them. I think that's so cool. This is why Luke's writing is different from John's writing, which is different from Peter's writing, and so on and so forth. My favorite example of this is Isaiah and Jeremiah, who lived roughly around the same time when Jerusalem had fallen to Babylon. And you read both of these books, and they're saying the same thing, but you can tell they have different personalities. For example, Jeremiah is considered the weeping prophet, and you can see it come out in his writing. God uses unique individuals to write out his words. Something else that's amazing to me about the Bible is that God used 35 authors to give us his Bible. It wasn't just one person. 35 people all writing about the same thing. Beyond that, just to further this, I hope you know that when the the early church put together the New Testament, what they called the canon, each book that was included had to go through a number of rigorous tests. The most important one of those was the authorship test. The author even had to be either an apostle of Jesus or they had to be related to an apostle of Jesus in some way. So we've got John and Peter, apostles of Jesus, but then we have Luke who was related to Peter, who followed Paul. So what we have here is inspired by God. And that suggests it's not just a collection of stories or fables or myths or merely human ideas about God. It is not a human book at all. Through the Holy Spirit, God revealed his person and his plan for salvation to certain people who then wrote that down as his message for all people. These are his words. And so no wonder it must be valued by his people. Look, if a letter showed up in your mailbox tomorrow addressed from God, you would probably value that. And that's exactly what we have in the Bible. The third thing, real quick, these verses tell us about the Bible, if you're following on your notes, is that the words of the Bible are trustworthy and dependable. In this age and day when there is no truth, the trustworthiness of Scripture is vitally important. Did you know it's something that Satan has attacked from the very beginning, though? In Genesis 3, 1, he says to Eve, did God really say? Friends, it's inconceivable that God would give his people a book they could not trust. He is the God of truth, Deuteronomy 32, 4. Jesus is the truth. We just sang that. John 14, 6. The Spirit is truth. 1 John 5, 6. Listen, even Jesus said of the Scriptures, your word is truth. John 17, 17. 
He has given us an anchor. Yes, we still have some freedom in interpreting, but as far as the doctrines and truths of the Bible, they are anchored and true for us as much today as it was for the early church. And what we believe about that, the trustworthiness, the dependability of scriptures are fundamentally going to determine your faith and life. I went to a very liberal seminary. Every day I was being challenged about whether the Bible was trustworthy and dependable. And at one point, I just had to get down on my knees and say, I trust you. You are worthy of my trust, and your word is worthy of my trust. Have you been able to get there with God set apart, his holy scripture? Friends, the bottom line is we value being Bible-based because we truly believe these are God's words to us and for us. And that leads to that second big question, which is so what? So what if this is God's word? How does knowing that help my life? What is the Bible even for? Well, thankfully, in these verses in 2 Timothy, Paul reveals two important truths about what the Bible is for. The first one we see in verse 15, we see that if you're following on your notes, Scriptures are how we can know God and his salvation. If you still have your Bible open to that passage, notice Paul says to Timothy, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, now listen, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now to be clear here, we're not saved by believing the Bible or worshiping the Bible, but we're saved by trusting in the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. Listen, think about it. Satan knows the Bible. He hates it. The Pharisees knew the Bible front and back, but they did not recognize Jesus. I know many people in the church world today who love the Bible. They know the Bible, but they miss the main purpose of the Bible, which is always to point us to Jesus and his salvation. Just to connect this to last week, the Bible is Jesus-centered. The Bible's Jesus-centered. It's amazing to me the story of the Bible, right? In the Bible, we discover that God wants to be in a relationship with us. It's why we were created to commune with God, to do life together with God, with one another. It's also in the Bible, though, that shows us that that relationship that he desires was broken. It was made impossible because of sin. But it's also in the Bible we learn that that did not stop God from pursuing us. Indeed, it is in the Bible from Genesis on that we're pointed to Jesus Christ as the hope of our salvation. It is the Bible that shows us that Jesus died for our sins. It's the Bible that tells us that Jesus rose from death, conquering death for all who would believe in him. And it's in the Bible that promises that if we trust in that Jesus, he will save us and set us free to commune once again with God for all eternity. Friends, I want to be clear. We do not worship the Bible, but... It is the Bible that teaches us who God is and how we can know him and how we can know our salvation. I gotta say, early in my life, I started reading the Bible in high school and I just kind of found it a little bit confusing and difficult. It looked like a bunch of rules that I was supposed to follow. But as I've begun to read it through the lens of the whole scriptures pointing to Jesus, it's changed fundamentally the way I read it. I challenge you to view it the same way way that it's pointing to Jesus. There's a great story actually in Luke chapter 24 about this where the resurrected Jesus appears to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus and Luke recounts what happened in that moment in chapter 24. Jesus said to them, 
how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus himself said, the Bible is all about me. That really leads us to the second thing that Paul says about Scripture and what it's for, which is, again, found in verses 16 and 17. You can follow along on your notes again there. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So listen, Paul doesn't say that the Bible is to equip us for when we enter heaven to get 100% on the entrance exam. Right? What does he say? He says the purpose of the Bible is to equip us for good works right here, right now in our lives. And it does that by teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. Now, instead of getting into the meaning of each of those four words, I'm going to sum it all up because the idea here is pretty simple. The Bible is useful to us because it reveals to us what we are to believe and how we are to behave. Or can I say it another way if you're following on your notes? The Bible transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. That is its goal. Paul writes about this in the first part of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I have it on your notes. Will you read it with me there? It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does transformation into the person of Jesus happen in our lives? By renewing our minds. And I know no better way to do that than to be in God's word. Friends, every day, things are going after our mind. We're constantly being conformed. Every moment I wake up, every advertisement I see, every time I'm on my phone, every time I'm watching TV, my mind is being conformed. But God's promise is that his word can transform us more into the person of Christ. Paul's last words to Timothy, I mean, remember, this is his last book, are that he must never forget Scripture's purpose, to equip the people of God to live transformed lives. We don't just study the Bible to know God's word, to increase our knowledge, to be able to win arguments against other people. We study the Bible because we want to become more like Jesus and live how Jesus lived. And that is why we are committed to teaching the Bible here at Cherry Hills. It's why it's one of our five core values. We believe this book are the very words of God that he has given to us as an amazing gift to grow us and to equip us and to mature believers. Bible is an anchor for our church so we can stand firm even when the winds of culture blow around us. I could end there, but I just want to say one last thing to you personally. Personally, I hope you never miss this. One thing I'm convinced of, if you're on your notes again, is that the Bible really shows us how to live the abundant life Jesus offers. A lot of people, when they think of the Bible, they think of boring. They think of rules. They think of limiting my freedom and limiting my life. But I want to tell you it's the complete opposite. It is in the Bible that we learn the way of Jesus, which is the abundant life. My life verse is John chapter 10, verse 10, which you can see up on the screen here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it 
to the full. My personal vision statement, I wrote it just this last year in 2020. This is what I believe God has called me to do. To call up followers of Jesus by teaching them the abundant life the Bible offers. That's my purpose. And I want to ask you right now, is the Bible just a bunch of rules? Or is the Bible where you can find the abundant life that Jesus wants to offer you? Let me ask you in a question if you're on your notes. Is the Bible a core value in my life as well? It's a core value for our church. Is it a core value in your life as well? Remember what Brian said last week about Values. Values are evidenced by our behaviors. Would someone who looked at your life know that you value God's word based on your habits, on your behaviors? Sadly, I hate to say it, but the statistics in the American church suggest not. But Jesus himself tells us about the importance of being in God's word abundantly clear in Matthew 4, verse 4. In this passage, he's being tempted by Satan to turn rocks into bread. And let's read out loud together what he says. It says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see what he's saying here? Just as important as food is for our physical bodies, so is the word of God to our spiritual bodies. We must be feeding ourselves on God's word. Brian challenged us last week to do this very thing, to have a plan for 2021. And if you didn't catch it again, I'll mention it up here on the screen. If you want a plan to be in God's word this year, you can text CH Bible to 94090 and a whole plan, different plans will pop up for you. Get a plan and stick with it. Feed yourself with the word of God. I just want to close real quick with a story here. One of my favorite all-time commercials came out a few years ago at the Super Bowl, and it was a spoof on the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. Some of you probably remember that. He's stuck on an island. He's a FedEx deliverer. And throughout the movie, he keeps this one package with him. He doesn't open it. He keeps one package with him because it gives him hope that one day he'll actually be able to return it. And so this commercial kind of takes that idea, and we see Tom Hanks delivering this package uh, to the woman finally. And before he leaves, he asks her, can I just ask what's inside of the package? And she says, oh, yeah, it's just some things like seeds and a purifier, a purifier for water and a satellite phone. And you can see, obviously, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks guy is going, oh, my gosh. But I really think that's appropriate for how we view the word of God sometimes. It sits there collecting dust on our shelves when all the while it offers us the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. And so are you going to open it? Are you going to open it this year and feed on God's word? I sure hope you do. We will commit to continuing to do that as a church family together as well. But let's give thanks for the God who provides abundantly everything we need. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have equipped us with everything we need. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the body of Christ and you've given us the Bible. We thank you that you reveal yourself in the Bible, that you reveal your plan for us, that your heart is for us. We thank you that in the Bible, you've given us your holy word, that you've set it apart for your church to equip us for every good work. Oh Lord, would you transform us more and more this year as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible into Jesus. And would we glorify you as we live out our lives in this culture and in this society. May we let the Bible be an anchor for our lives in 2021. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.